Welcome to Har for Chabad podcast, a project of the Klein Jewish Academy. In this podcast, we take ancient Jewish wisdom and make it relevant. Each podcast includes insights culled from Jewish traditions and ideas and helps give practical ideas on how to incorporate them into your daily life. So today we are talking about boundaries. Uh, we're talking about the Sabbath boundary, the Shabbos boundary, or Tichum Shabbat. It's the boundary of how far we're permitted to walk on the Shabbos. You know, not everybody is aware that there is a uh, an actual boundary. It shouldn't be surprising because Judaism is uh, all about setting boundaries. Yeah, you know, things can be done correctly or incorrectly, and there's a line between them and a boundary. You know, set, we, we set forth the boundaries on how to do things right rather than the wrong way. But, you know, uh, the question that comes to mind is why, what would be wrong about, you know, taking a nice walk on, on the Shabbos? deeper question they ask is, you know, what can these uh, boundaries, the Shabbos boundaries, tell us about the general boundaries that Judaism directs us to set in our lives? Uh, that's what we'll talk about. So when the Jewish people uh, crossed the desert from Egypt to Israel, you know, they, they ran out of food after uh, about 30 days. God provided for them with the, the manna that came from the, the, the skies. The manna would fall uh, on a layer of dew just outside the, the camp of the, the Jewish people. And every morning, uh, the people would go out of the camp with buckets or pails, some, some receptacles, to collect their portion of manna. No matter how much or how little they collected, they always came home with the exact amount of mana that God had allocated to every person. So they did this, you know, the, the first week. And then on Friday, uh, they found that they came home. They had double the portion that they usually had. So they asked Moses why, why they had received this extra portion. And he replied that one portion was for that day, Friday, and the other would be for the Sabbath. No mono would fall on the Sabbath, and the people were expected to save the second portion to eat then. This is all fine and good, but there were some Jews that didn't trust Moses and actually left the camp on the Sabbath morning to see whether the mana would fall, uh, especially uh, Dason and Avaron, who caused all sorts of trouble for, for Moses over the, uh, the years, you know, from, from the exodus from Egypt to the, through the uh, sojourn in the desert. God was unhappy with people going out and basically disobeying his his will. And uh, we have text one 
And I will start with you, Robin. Okay. How long will you refuse to observe my commandments and my teachings? See, God has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Let each man remain in his place. No man should leave his place on the seventh day. It seems that God's telling the Jews, don't leave the camp because there won't be any mana to collect. But our sages saw a larger message in this passage. And Jerry, could you do 2A? There. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, hold on. Sorry. Just to try to get it off of mute. No <laughs> okay. man should leave his place on the seventh day. The term place refers to the techem, the range beyond the city's limits into which we may not venture on the Sabbath. I guess this is different than an Erev. Correct. The Erev is a, is a, 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 a man-made uh, structure that allows you to carry on the, on, on the Sabbath. Okay, this is just, just walking. You can only walk so far. Our sages understood that Moses was telling his people that today, since today is, this, is Shabbat, and on Shabbat it's forbidden to stroll beyond the boundary, they're required to settle in their place and not venture out of the camp. How far do these boundaries extend? Let's see in the next to be, and we'll go to Paul on that. The Torah did not explicitly state the extent of this range. <clears throat> the sages, however, transmitted a tradition that the range extends to 12 mil beyond the city, a measure that corresponds with the size of the Jewish camp in the desert. Thus, Moses, our teacher, instructed, do not go out beyond the camp. Our sages further reduced the range from 12 mil and ruled that a person may only venture 2,000 amah beyond the city. They chose this range because it is the size of the pasture land that the Torah allocates to all cities, and thus the space is associated with the city. Okay, so 12 mil, um, they estimate that's about seven miles. So the biblical prohibition is against going more than about seven miles. The sages always tend to put a fence around the Torah, as they say. Uh, they will limit it so that even if you broke their commandment, that you still wouldn't have broken the biblical prohibition. So what they did was they were looking for a new measure that would have some uh, Torah support. They found that the Torah assigned each city in Israel a patch of land the size of 2,000 ama. Uh, an ama is about 18 inches. It's, so it's it's. Third. I'm not 100% sure it's each city, but the Levite cities 
where the Levites, uh, they lived in special cities, which were Levite cities, besides for the actual cities, the Levites were given an additional 2,000 Amma buffer zone, which they basically owned, but it wasn't officially part of, it was outside city limits. Right, it was, it was pasture land, actually. So 2,000 Amma equates to about uh, 3,100 feet. Uh, so it went from seven miles to 3,100 feet. Um, but the sages felt that since this was associated with the city, it was assigned to the Levites, as, as the rabbi says, uh, for pasture land, it could double as the boundaries for this uh, Sabbath range. So it's not only that we can can walk only the 2,000 ama from from our houses, and that's in the next um, text. And Larry, if you would like to read, sure, that'd be fine. It follows that a person may walk freely throughout the city, even if it is large as Nevia, irrespective of whether it is surrounded by a wall. In addition, we may walk 2,000 amma in any direction beyond the city's limits. When calculating the city's limits, a square is drawn around the entire city. Thus, the areas between the farthest corners are included. So Nineveh was uh, the largest city in its time. Uh, it may have been, you know, as big as a, you know, a modern day city, actually. So the city's legal boundaries are not pertinent to the, this, this range. For our purposes, for halakhic purposes, for this, you know, for this boundary, the city ends where the houses end. When we reach a house after which there are no houses for 140 ama, which is 210 feet, I guess, um, we'll have reached the city limits. So if there's a, a significant space between the houses, um, the houses that are you know connected to the city, and that's the this that's the boundary line. <laughs> Michael, yes. were some sort of uh, markers set out for the populace? Because even if you were trying in good faith to say, this is okay, this is not, let's face it, you can't always that accurately estimate exactly where this limit is. So again, we're boundaries set out to help people here. I would imagine so. I mean, yeah, it's like an era of you, you, you need to put up some sort of marker so you, you know where you, you're going here. And there's now, there's now there, there, if you think about it, um, when you ask someone for directions, sometimes they'll say, go three streetlights. Sometimes they'll go, go half a mile and make a left. And sometimes they'll say, you know, sometimes they'll say, you know, turn on your GPS. So in those days, a per, the, the, the language of saying, go one mil, go two mil, go 2,000 ama was like saying, you know, go half a mile. And you have to also recognize that people were walking. And an ama is basically approximately a, foot, a, a step. 
the amount that you walk. Like when you take a step, you're, you're, you move about 18 inches or so, 12 to 18 inches. So because of that, um, if you and recognize that in those days, people were generally walking um, in their, in their tr mode of travel. So therefore, even if you went to the last house of the city, everyone knew it was the last house of the city. How did you know? Because that's where the teacher lived. I'm just kidding. But in all the stories of the older people, they say, in the olden days, they say, and he went to the house of the Malamid, the, the kid's teacher who lived at the edge of the house in the ramshackle hut. Um, so, so I knew he was at the, it's at the end of the city. But, um, but the truth is that it was just, you would know that this is the last house. And that's when you would, that's how you would, and then you would start counting. You would count your, your steps, more or less. But you have to also, and the, a good example would be in the story of, um, I mentioned it before about Alicia Benavuya or Acherim, uh, um, uh, um, who he was tra traveling out to the city, he was driving on his donkey and his student Rameir was walking next to him. And he said, uh, Rebbe, you, uh, we've, reached, we've reached the Tchum, we've reached the 2000 Amma, right? It was Shabbos. So Rameir for sure didn't have, uh, GPS on him, and even Elisha Benavuya, he didn't care, so he probably also didn't have a GPS on him. But Ramirez told him it's 2000 Amma. How did he know? It wasn't like there was a sign necessarily. If there was a sign, he wouldn't need to tell him. So the fact that he knew is because it was normal, just like you know, it's by the mall, it's by this, it's by that. It was it was normal for people to understand that. Even today, it's actually relevant when a person sometimes needs to walk far, like in some places, if someone needs to go to the hospital and they, or go home from the hospital and they want to go on Shabbos, are you going into a lot? Sometimes a hospital will be a little bit out of town in a more undeveloped area. And you have to know if you're allowed to walk or how to walk to get from point A to point B. That's when it actually becomes relevant even today. Um, outside of the message of the class, I'm saying from a purely practical halachic level, um, you know, can I walk to Towson on Shabbos if I want to? Well, it's a question. It depends if I'm taking Harford Road or taking the 95 or if I'm taking Bel Air Road, right? Even though my start point and end point might be the same, the route of traffic might need to be different if I want to get there. And now that I've gone a successfully on a tangent, I'll hand it back to you. <laughs> it's okay. We we like tangents here. Um, there's a, like I said, there's some nuances here. You know, what if what the city's houses extend further to the north? And it's northern border rather than the southern border. Then they take the the last house of the city. And they draw a square around the city's farthest reaches. And everything inside that square becomes part of the city. And you can walk there without restriction. So, you know, even though you might have reached a place where there's, you know, farmland, someone has a, a five acre uh, plot of land. And so you don't, don't see the house. It's not, the house is not 200 feet away from the previous house that's connected to the city, definitely connected to the city, uh, it still might be within the Tehum. Um, and what if you're just out in the middle of the woods? 
in the tent or in the desert, you know, what happens then? So there we have text three, and that would be Carol. One who spends the Sabbath in a barn in the desert, in a corral, in a cave, or in a similar type of private domain may walk through its entire space and may continue to the limits of a square extending 2,000 ama in every direction from that domain. Similarly, one who spends the Sabbath in an open valley may walk to the limits of a square extending 2,000 cubits in every direction from the place of which he is located at the commencement of the Sabbath. One who is walking in an open valley and does not know how far his Sabbath range extends may take 2,000 ordinary steps. This is his Sabbath range. So the range is measured basically from the door of where you're staying, your home, your tent, whatever. Um, and uh, if you don't have any home or tent, if you're just standing there in the Sabbath game, you can go 2,000 steps, 2,000 paces in any direction from where you are. So we had quoted Rambam, the, the Maimonides, who wrote in text one that strolling behind the beyond the uh, Sabbath range is biblically forbidden. And it's just that rabbis, the sages shrunk that from the seven miles to the three thirty one hundred feet, whatever. Most scholars thought that the prohibition of strolling behind beyond the Sabbath range is rabbinic in origin. And you know, the verse that spoke of Moses instructing the people not to wander too far was never intended to convey a commandment, this prohibition against leaving the camp. It was just a directive limiting uh, them in that particular circumstance. Was it maybe was, more a commandment not to do work? I.e., I, picking up the matter would be considered work. We're just walking over to where the matter may have been was not work. That is correct. That isn't work. That's right. I mean, uh, an observant Jew will uh, walk the shul on, on the Sabbath. Um, well, we, we might think of it as, as sort of work in our heads. <laughs> it, 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 it isn't, yeah. <laughs> So let's, this brings us to text four. Okay. No man should leave his place. These are the 2,000 ama of the Sabbath range. But this is not explicit for the Sabbath range. Rather, it is a rabbinic enactment. This verse was primarily intended to reprimand the gatherers of manna. So the sages, and this is Rashi, so he, he's a commentator. Um, basically took that verse about not leaving the camp uh, as an admonition. You know, God saying, no, I don't want you leaving the camp to go searching for mana because it's not going to be there. That's all. Uh, they just 
you know, at a, at a later date, the the sages decided to prohibit venturing too far afield on Shabbos, and they just found support for this prohibition from that passage. And Rashi is, is a literal translator. So he will almost always try to figure out how the literal text makes sense. I'm sure there's a fancier word when we're talking about the Constitution and other important documents, but he literalist, literalist, yeah? Did I hear that word before or something? But what's the literal meaning of the words and how does that make sense? So he said, do not go out of the camp. Why, what, exactly what did he say? What does he mean? So are we saying it's a it's like a radius of 2,000 ama or 2,000 steps that you could take in any direction? So it depends on where you are. So imagine you're going in through a pasture. So then you, you from the point of where you were when Shabbos rested, you can you draw you go 2,000 ama and draw a circle. Um, that's if you're in the middle of a pasture area. If you're at the edge of a city, you can go 2,000 ama out and 520,000 ama into the city. So it's a radius. Got it. Yeah, I mean, if you're in Manhattan, you can walk for miles and miles. Uh, whereas uh, some of these cities in Europe, like, well, even London. I mean, London is not that large a, a city compared to... London is 45 miles from west to east. The, the former part of London, I thought it was only one mile. London City the, is, is a tiny little part, but London exactly. is 45 miles. But yeah, but yeah, but if they're if the houses are separated by that significant amount, you know, there might be little satellite areas from London, but they might not be considered part of the city itself. So you get into all these nuances, and that, that's why we've had, you know, thousands of years of commentaries. <laughs> and a lot of these things, you know, uh, haven't been resolved. But, you know, what's the difference if it's a rabbinic law or a biblical law? It, it, we're halakhically obligated to observe rabbinical law, laws just the same as we do biblical laws. But there are occasions when the difference between the two opinions results in different halakhic rulings because if there's a case of doubt, uh, we tend to be more lenient with rabbinical prohibitions. You know, why did uh, so why did the Torah or the rabbis decide to limit the distance that were permitted to walk on the Sabbath to begin with? You know, little has been written about the reason behind this Tikhun Shabbos. The basic reason is that God wanted us to set aside one day of the week to rest from creating just as he did the first week of creation. Six days, God created various things, the whole universe, and on the seventh, he rested. We also create. We don't create things from scratch, you know, out of nothing, as God did 
but we do take raw materials from God's creation and create something useful and constructive to use. You know, we take seeds, we sow them in, in the ground and they, they, they turn into crops and they harvest these crops and these become ingredients for, uh, for food. Uh, take uh, trees, cut them down, turn the lumber into houses and building material. Um, you know, harvest cotton, make clothing out of it, um, things like that. So just as God rested from creating, we are supposed to be resting and avoiding all creative activities. The sages broke down the acts of creation into 39 items. And they include things like plowing, planting, reaping, grinding, baking. You know, each of these categories, these items is a category for itself. For example, if we're talking about planting, that includes watering the plants and weeding the garden. So it's not just 39 things you can't do. It's 39 families of things you can't do. So there's a lot of things you can't do. You know, baking can, it can include cooking. It includes reheating. Uh, you know, a couple more examples there. And we have further restrictions. And they did so, they put in these additional restrictions for good reason. Well, first, let's get to them on text five. And uh, Joe, I... Yeah, while you're here. <laughs> the Torah tells us to cease during the Sabbath. This means that we must cease even from the activities that are not included in the categories of forbidden labors. The Torah left the definition of the scope of this commandment to the sages who forbade many activities under the rubric of Shavuot. Some activities are forbidden because they resemble the forbidden labors, while other activities are forbidden lest they lead one to commit a forbidden labor. So these are the two additional categories. Um, there are two additional reasons. You know, some activities are forbidden because they resemble some of those 39 categories. And other activities are forbidden lest they make uh, lead you to commit a, a forbidden labor. So if you're doing something that's similar and you know, might think, okay, well, I, if I could do this, I can do that. And that is under a forbidden category. So it resembles a forbidden labor, labor or can lead to a forbidden labor. Let's give you a couple of examples or an example at least. Um, the Torah forbids reaping on Shabbat. Yeah, uh, so that means if apples are ripe and available on an apple tree, you can't pick them. So the sages expanded on that and said, 
you can't collect honey from a beehive on Shabbat. Because collecting honey from a beehive resembles the act of collecting an apple from the tree. It's not an act of reaping, but our sages forbid it because of its resemblance. You know, honey harvesting were, were permitted, and I was accustomed to doing that on Shabbos. I, I might one day begin to question, well, if I, I, I can get this honey out of the hive, why can't I get that apple from the tree? They're, they're very similar. So the sages forbid forbade that permissible activity, gathering honey, um, it, it, because it resembled the other activity of picking the apple. Is that why you can't climb the tree? Because you may be uh, liable to pick that apple once you're up there? That is one of the reasons, yeah. Uh, you might also uh, break a branch. You can't uh, break a branch from a tree uh, because, you know, if you were uh, riding, uh, you might be using it to, to whip break, it. Break, breaking a branch may be called pruning. Mm -hmm. So you're not allowed to prune. Pruning is one of the 37. One of the reasons you're not allowed to ride a horse is because you might break a branch. Yeah. Um, when I got my glasses and I was, I don't know, uh, 12 years old, maybe 14 years old, something like that, the rabbi of the community told me that the first Shabbos I shouldn't wear my glasses, not because there's anything forbidden with wearing glasses, but because since they're new, I might take them off. In the beginning of Corona, there was a discussion, are you allowed to wear a mask on Shabbos outside? Mm. Or is there a risk that you're going to take it off? while walking, causing you to carry. And there was a big discussion. In the end, at the moment, from my understanding, most people say that you're allowed to wear a mask outside. There are still some people who say, I'm extra careful. And I don't want to, so I'm not going to. And uh, um, those people usually stay home and don't come to shore, at least in Hartford County. So that's the way it is. And taken with the apple example, the sages expanded and forbade even smelling the apples on the tree during Shabbos. Yeah, smelling the apple doesn't resemble picking it, but it does fit into that second criteria. <laughs> it could lead me to inadvertently pick the apple. Right, but how do you handle unintentional sniffing versus walking up to a tree and going? Well, it, it's the latter that's that's definitely forbidden in, in this example. You know, if I want to get a good whiff of the apple, I might just naturally grab it to to try to pull it towards my nose, and I might pull it in such a way that it becomes disconnected from the tree. So, yes, but also what to say with the flowers, which could be a, a, a natural attractive by themselves. 
And that might be more like the case. Uh, Jerry, I'll give, I'll give you another similar example from the Talmud. If you use a candle lamp, which has oil in it, you're not allowed to read by the lamp because you might tip the lamp to, uh, to get Make better, better. Ju just to be able to see better. And then you may extinguish it or add or those types of issues. You're not allowed to, I mean, there's all those types of things of, yes, if a person unintentionally does something, they're not necessarily liable. But if they create an environment that they're likely to do the wrong thing, then uh, you can't say it was really unintentional. When you line up all your ducks and you push one domino and all the other dominoes fall and you say, I, all I did is push one domino and I'm allowed to push that domino. <laughs> well, buddy, you set up the dominoes and then you push that one domino that you're allowed to push. I didn't do anything. Right. Okay, so what does this have to do with the restriction of walking on Shabbos? Walking doesn't resemble any of these forbidden labors. It's not the ones that I've told you, <laughs> but it, it, it doesn't. Um, and it doesn't really lead inadvertently to any of the other forbidden labors. Yeah, I, I mean, an argument can be made against that one. Okay, I'm walking and I kick a clod of soil out of the, the, the field that I'm walking on, well, that's, that's digging. But, uh, you know, just looking at it on the surface, it's, it's really not, it doesn't seem to lead that way. It's not, not pushing that domino. Um, there's one more <laughs> criterion for rabbinic prohibitions that's not included under Shavu's this this and, and doesn't and does seem to relate to the the range, the boundary of the Shabbos. And that's in text six, and we'll go to Jerry. Uh, you're muted, Jerry. Oh, there you go. I you said Jimmy. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I, if I, I, I thought I said Yes. That's what he said. <laughs> okay, actually, is it Robin's turn? No, I had Robin after Carol. Then, then okay, I then the excuse me. I will go ahead and read. Mm -hmm. uh, there are activities that are forbidden on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Though they don't resemble the forbidden labors, nor do they lead to their performance. Why are these activities forbidden? Because it is written, if you restrain your feet because of the Sabbath and refrain from pursuing your desires on my holy day, and you should honor it by refraining from following your ordinary ways, attending to your wants, and discussing mundane matters. Accordingly, it is forbidden to tend to our concerns on the Sabbath or even talk about them to consult the partner on which merchandise should be sold the next day, or which should be purchased, how this building should be constructed, or which merchandise should be taken to a particular place. Such discussions are included in the prohibition against discussing mundane matters. Resting on the Shabbos is, is not intended for purpose of leisure. 
you know, if that was the purpose, then taking a long leisurely walk should be fine. But the purpose of Shabbos is to rest and reconnect with our core selves and with God and the Torah. We should be reflecting on our purpose in life. We connect with God through prayer and Torah study. And we connect with our friends and our community. But for some people, in terms of, say, mental health, could that walk kind of be accomplishing those purposes? Maybe not Torah study formally, but at least some of the things related to it. You could walk in a circle. Well, 2,000 amos is is a long way to to walk anyway. And you you can do a walk. I mean... There are a lot of people who will, after they've had their their meal on the Shabbos, will go for a walk in the park or whatever, go and meet with friends and, and, and all, and connect with, again, friends and community. But the intent of Shabbos is, is a day to ground us and plug us into our community and our values. It, if if you don't do look at it that way, it become it can become a day for leisure, distraction, and pleasurable pursuits, and that's not that's not the focus. That's not the focus. Um, and we find support for this in in the next text, and. Uh, Okay, Paul, we lost. So, Larry, if you would. Sure. With respect to the Sabbath boundaries, it appears that our sages did not want Jews to stroll about excessively on the Sabbath as one does during the weekday. For it is proper to plug into the delight of the Sabbath and engage in Torah study. Okay. So what I, we've gone through this in, in pretty good detail, uh, but what kind of insights can we gain that might provide us instructions for life? That's typically how these Torah study lessons happen. We, we go in, we investigate something, and then at the end, we try to, to bring it back and get these life lessons. We learned earlier that when we rest on the seventh day, it's because God rested on the seventh day. And our form of resting should be similar to God's form of resting in that we rest from creative activities. So why is it important that we mimic God and his pattern of rest. And for that, we have text eight. And uh, they're, they're, they're talking about the, a post-Cholent walk. Uh, that's, uh, uh, let's see, where did that come from? 
Um, that's yeah. That's uh, comes from uh, that's Cholent Park there. That was the a city park in Antwerp's religious Jewish district. Oh, isn't that funny? Yeah, because everybody used because to that, because every Saturday afternoon. So just, just to give a little bit of context, the word Cholent is a stew that a lot of Jews eat on Shabbos because you're forbidden to cook on Shabbos. And the Samaritans, I think they were called, or, um, said that when the Bible says you should not light a fire, it means you're not too ha allowed to have an existing fire remain lit, which means you can't eat any cooked food that's warm on Shabbos. So it became a Jewish tradition to prove that the, you're allowed to have warm food. You're allowed to um, people would eat a warm food Shabbos day to show that it's been warmed over Shabbos. Now, that food was usually whatever food you can put together in a pot, and that became the stew. So that food became known as a chalent, which is just like a random mixture. So that's just a bit of background on the word chalent. Now, after you eat your stew Shabbos day, especially in the summer when you're um, sitting comfortable, you had your wine, you had your bread, you had your stew, you had your nap. Now what are you going to do? There's another seven hours left till Shabbos is over. <laughs> so you, people would go for a walk. The, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, the, the Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Shalom Dover, would uh, decry this, this um, lack of respect for Shabbos day in which you should be connecting with God and you're just relaxing and going on strolls with your wife and just chilling. That's not the Shabbos way. So he, that was one of the complaints that he had um, to his chassidim saying, that's not, not appropriate. Um, hopefully he was successful. Practically, I'm not so sure how successful he was in uh, changing their behaviors. Now that you had random fact 14 for today's class, I'll let you continue. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to the prior slide, it even indicated that at least a, a short stroll would be perfectly okay. And if this is a Chabad document. Um, go back a page. Uh, go back a slide, because I think you're in control. So this mm -hmm. is, this is uh, technically, it would be in the spirit of the day, meaning you're relaxing. But, but this is, I mean, meaning if I was sitting at a Hasidic gathering with the author of, the of this class, I would say to him, uh, and probably at some point I will, I'm going to say, you heretic. You put this kind, you allowed such a slide in a class that you prepared. <laughs> Everyone knows that Shabbos, you don't go on a walk, a stroll, a post-challenge stroll. What happened to the years we spent together learning Hasidic philosophy in yeshiva? And then we'd laugh and we'd stay friends. <laughs> well, you could be going for a hike or a walk rather and to, to meet with other people in the community and to talk to them. Um, there's ways of making, what, there was one, one guy in the Talmud who said, I can give you 70 ways how a sheriff, which is like a, a creepy crawly thing, is, is, uh, is permitted. But everyone knows that if you want to refer to impurity, you say, you talk about a sheriff. So yes, I can, if I'm going on a walk, I can give you a bunch of ways why it's really, it's not the end of the world. 
And it is in the spirit of the day to relax. But there's the other side of it that shouldn't get lost. But again, I think it's a tangent we can continue. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Jerry, you need to get the text on there. So, Carol. The root idea of this commandment is to withdraw from our engagements in honor of this day and affix within our souls the belief in the creation of the world, which is the string that draws the foundations of our faith, that we should remember for one day each week that the world was created in six separate days and that on the seventh day nothing was created. When everyone rests for one day each week and someone asks why we rest, the answer that we that we rest because God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh reinforces the true faith among us all. We rest on the Sabbath only to mimic God, not only to mimic God, but to foster our belief in creation, as it says here in text eight, and to reinforce our sense of dependence on the creator. Everything comes from God is a recurring theme that we, we speak of. When we create intellectual and physical properties during a week, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we are working with materials that God created. It's also easy to forget that we and our creative powers are also creations of God. We can start to think about our own might and power. Oh, I did this. I did that. I created this. And that sort of warps the sense here. So that's why we take a rest from the regular mundane work week and Think more about the creator of everything. What happens if we desecrate the Sabbath and do something that creates? Well, then Sabbath stops being a day that belongs exclusively to God, as we just discussed. And we introduce the mundaneness of the world. And it profanes the holiness of the day. So now we have text 9A. And okay. The idea behind the restriction against work on the Sabbath is that it is by performing creative activities, we form a space in the Sabbath that is devoid of holiness. That is to say, our activity introduces something inappropriate, something impure into the Sabbath. Yeah, the Rebbe explains that when we profane, and, and the, the word he uses is mechalel, the Sabbath, by a creative act, we introduce a halal, which is uh, the Hebrew word for void. And mechalel and halal have the same ent entomological uh, root in Hebrew. So we're, we're Introducing this void, you know, a, a space where the Sabbath is 
a hole in in the Sabbath, really. You know, it's a space within the Sabbath that's devoid of the Sabbath because we introduce these mundane activities in there. When we, you know, our creative acts, you know, we void the exclusivity of this Sabbath for, you know, the span of time that we desecrate it. And, uh, and you know, put a little unholiness on the holiness of the day. There's other kinds of desecration for the Sabbath. Um, you know, it's not just, well, as you see on the uh, slide, it's not just puncturing a hole in the Sabbath bubble, bubble to introduce unholiness. But you could go further and actually move the entire Sabbath bubble out of the Sabbath entirely and, and just make it into a, a regular weekday, same as a regular weekday. And this is that philosophy really behind those Sabbath boundaries. So, Joe, if you can give us the Rebbe's teaching there. The reason for the prohibition against walking beyond the Sabbath range is not that we introduce a weekday element into the Sabbath. Rather, it is that we export the Sabbath into the realm of unholiness. This is because within every Jew, even one who is boorish and completely ignorant, the radiance of the Sabbath is aglow. And when we step beyond the Sabbath boundaries, we bring the holiness of the Sabbath that is within us into the realm of unholiness. Sabbath has, you know, a bunch of, well, getting into the, the Kabbalistic interpretation a little bit, it, it has a, a bunch of holy energies. And these holy energies are within every Jewish person. We have a holy soul, which is a part of God. And we have those energies there. We, we, whenever we, go wherever we go on, on the shot on, on the Sabbath, we bring that spirit of the Sabbath with us. We step into the synagogue, you know, we we bring the Sabbath spirit into the holy place. Um but if we go into the shopping mall, as you see on the slide, we're we're bringing that Sabbath spirit into a mundane place. It's a place that's entirely antithetical or removed from from the Sabbath. You know, uh, what can you do in the mall? You're going to be trying to purchase things or at least looking at things to, to purchase them. Yes, you, you know, they do have the senior time to do your walks in the mall but uh, again that's that's walking uh, it, it, that's not walking in, in in terms of walking to the synagogue you know just as there's a day of sabbath in, in our week there are elements of sabbath and weekdays in our lives our physical body is the weekday part of our experience. 
Yeah. So similarly, the hours that we spend in prayer, studying the Torah, or performing mitzvot, the commandments, those are the Sabbaths of our day. Yeah, so you can look at it that way. The, the hours that we spend at work or business, those are the weekday hours of our day, the mundane pursuits. It's not just about the time, it's about the mindset as well. We, we're engaged in holy, when we're engaged with holy pursuits, we're focused on God. We, we get a deeper and closer connection to God. When we're engaged in weekly pursuits, regular pursuits, we're, we're focused on worldliness. We're, we're focused on you know, uh, making money or, uh, or performing our work. Um, you know, it's not a godly focus or perspective. God gave us our souls and dispatched them here on in, on the world in the world so that we can engage with the world and make it holier. That's our mission. But we have to also respect those boundaries between the holy and the mundane. How do we protect our minds and our souls from being invaded by worldliness? Uh, the Rebbe talks about that in the next text. And um, Jerry, if you could. I could be well, I could have sworn someone else is supposed to actually be reading right now. I just read like two things ago. No, I had, I had Carol, I had if you, Robin, if you, and I had Joe. <laughs> I really, I mean, we could go on. Jerry, 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 we can skip you if you want. No, it's just that I, I'm trying not to be greedy, and I feel. <laughs> uh, Michael, I think you missed. Let me, let me go ahead and read, okay? You missed. Oh, miss... I, I, well, I missed Paul. That's right. You missed me last okay, time, but I'm, Paul, I'm over I'm it. Gonna I'm over mute it. myself and let Paul read. Okay. You want me to? I'll read. Please. I already got over it, but okay. <laughs> Hang on, I got to move my pictures away. Okay. When we introduce worldly thinking into our minds, the Shabbos element within us, a void and emptiness is introduced that doesn't sense or feel godliness. For if we knew and felt the truth that only God's blessings can make us wealthy, and that our efforts are merely to form a vessel for his blessing, we would not invest our brains into business by scheming creative machinations and tactics that are in any event ineffective, for only God's blessing can grant success. On the contrary, becoming too engrossed in our many business affairs distracts us from Torah and serving God, which in turn prevents us from becoming proper vessels for the divine's blessings. Um, when I give blood, I, I go and give platelets. I try to give them pretty regularly at the Red Cross and White Marsh there. Um, they've, uh, the last couple of years, they instituted a, uh, an iron test. They uh, they uh, decided, and I guess with the FDA, uh, to uh, that 
need a certain iron level in the blood. And that makes sense in order to give um, whole blood because you know you want all the ingredients. For me, they're only taking out the platelets, they're not, which don't contain iron. So it doesn't make sense, but that that's their that's the rule. So they they, they get do a finger prick and uh, they put the, the drop of blood in the machine and it measures the iron content. Um, on occasion, you know, I've I've had it so that uh, it, it falls below the the boundary, the limit, um, and so I, I am deferred from giving uh, platelets that day. It's a it's a one day deferral. That's all because they know, and the, and the machine is very inaccurate. Actually, I've uh, often they'll do a second finger prick and 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 it's fine, but. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a vessel <laughs> for God. Uh, that day when I got my deferral, the one day deferral, uh, it's because God didn't want me to give my platelets. That's all. So you know, I I shouldn't be beating myself up for it, even though I I usually do and try to figure out what other foods I can eat that are high in iron, so I don't. You know, always pass the test, as it were. But, you know, we want to get to that concept where we, we understand that everything's in God's hands, but God only helps those who help themselves as well. And that's that's why we have to work for a living, you know. Uh, we, we just don't sit here and God gives us everything. Um, yeah, when we consider finding a second job or expanding our work hours or whatever, it, all these things that you could do to increase the burden on your workday life, and uh, that might take time away from your holy pursuits. Is that a Shabbat-specific concept, or is that just broadly, you know, betuchen, having having trust in God? That's uh, a general, a basic concept that everything comes from God and everything from God is good. You know, we've we've covered that that thread, I think, throughout many of the lessons that we've 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 had. Um, yeah, so. Uh, that's not something that that's something that you should really reconsider. I mean, if you're, you're you have your set time for Torah study and taking on this extra work eats into it, uh, you should think twice <laughs> because what you're doing really is you're figuring that worrying that. God might not come through for you, that you, you don't have enough, uh, you know, you don't, you're, you're not making enough pay, so you have to work those extra hours. You know, you, you worry that God might not come through for us and consider expanding the, the vessel at the cost of holy endeavors. You know, a worldly mentality has invaded our inner 
Shabbos. On the other side, you know, we must also respect the boundary so that we don't remove the our Shabbos into the realm of unholiness. And the Rebbe talks about that in text 10b. So, uh, Jerry, you want to do that one? Okay. Okay. Even if we don't allow our business concerns to invade our inner Sabbath, we must remember that there is yet another restriction, the restriction against venturing beyond the boundary. That is to say, during our Sabbath moments, times reserved for Torah and mitzvot, even the outer aspect of our being, such as our hands and feet, may not leave the boundaries to do something unrelated to Torah and mitzvot. For the Torah must permeate our entire body, not just the mind. Yeah, you you might think that our you know our minds can study Torah, but our hands and feet can engage in other pursuits. You know. Um, Say, you know, during prayer, you can be focusing on the words of prayer with your mind, but you're sweeping the floors, you know, doing a, a mundane task. It's, it's inappropriate because although our, yeah, uh, Torah and mitzvah should permeate our minds and our bodies. It's not one or the other. The uh, mind and body are a connected whole. If our minds and hearts aren't truly permeated with godliness, we can't step away from when we complete the mitzvah, the Torah study, or the prayer session, and revert to being you know, a mundane type of person. You know, think of it this way. You know, how could a person who who is really into prayer in the synagogue, you know, pours his or her art out in prayer, how can they turn around, come home, and scream at their kids? You know, what permeates the mind should percolate in if, if, the if they need the help, If they need help, I can tell them how to do that. <laughs> Well, it, it's certainly easy to uh, to uh, just uh, step back and let let things happen. No, no, but I think I think that that the challenge in this from the in the lesson from this class was really it's it's all nice. Uh, What's it called? Highfalutin. You yeah. know, it's it's all good theoretically, but when it comes down to brass tacks, to to have that ability to manage the living Shabbos throughout the week and having God present in the mundane, similar to what Joe mentioned earlier for like a second about faith in God. It's very nice to learn about faith in God, but um, someone recently actually told me, someone who's, you know, been working on their faith, they bumped into a really challenging personal situation and they turned to me and they said, they said, this is the time that the faith comes to the fore and you get to find out whether you learned it or whether you live it. And, you know, Shabbos is, the, the message is really, you know, how do you infuse your week with Shabbos or your weekday, weekday activities 
so that they have a godly component or your work that it has, a, you know, all those different pieces, but there's that, um, if I had a camera, I would turn it on to try to show you what I'm trying to say, but that sort of, how do you balance those two, um, you know, beyond what it's just saying in the class of, yeah, this is the idea, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I see we're getting late here. Um, they have this story here, um, you know, a, a sort of a feel-good story, I guess. Yes, it was a very good story. It's lengthy, though. I would shorten it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's a, a Jewish girl who came from Poland out of her nine siblings. Uh, this 12-year-old Rose was a the child that was chosen to go to America from Poland. And the family could only save up enough for, for one of the uh, one of them to go. And she was the youngest one. She was chosen to go. So she before she went, her father uh, you know had his parting words. That remember God's watching over you every step of the way. Remember his laws. Keep them well. Never forget that more than the Jews have kept the Sabbath. The Sabbath has kept the Jews. It's going to be hard in the new land. Don't forget who you are and keep the Sabbath always. No matter what sacrifices. Okay, so she comes over. Uh, she did have relatives waiting for her. And uh, her cousins uh, took her in, and uh, she had a pretty mature appearance uh, when she went out to find work. Um, I guess they thought she was older than perhaps what she was, and she found a job as a sewing machine operator. Um, you know, she was welcome to America. She realized that, you know, it's it's a whole a whole new ball game here. <laughs> you know, dressing modestly, uh, religious observance and keeping kosher and uh, everything was abandoned. So she tried to, uh, you know, walk the line between her father's words of, you know, staying with the old customs and and trying to, to fit in in America you know she she wore contemporary clothes yeah but she she never did give up on on the Sabbath so this posed a problem because uh, there was no uh, Saturdays off at the, at, the, at the plant there. So every Friday, she'd uh, the devise uh, every week. She'd have to devise a new excuse to tell her boss why she didn't come to work on Saturday. You know, one week she had a toothache, another week a stomachache, whatever. After a few weeks, the foreman grew wise and, and called her over and said, "Rose, you know, I like your work and I like you, but this Sabbath business has to stop. Either you come in this Saturday or you can look for a new job." Uh, so she was very much torn, you know, her relatives or cousins were, were saying, hey, you know, <laughs> this is the way of the world, uh, you got to do this. 
and but she wanted to listen to her father. Um, on Friday, she walked to work um, and she tried to, to figure out something as she was doing her work. Um, but, and she finally decided she's gonna keep the, the Sabbath. She couldn't tell her, her relatives. So what happened on Saturday, she left the house pretending to be heading for work. And instead she walked into the, in, through the streets of Manhattan. Now, again, this was in the Tehum, because she's in Manhattan there. Uh, when finally the day had ended, and, uh, you know, the sundown, she went back to the uh, apartment and she, um, when she came home, uh, they said, Rose, what? how are you here? Where were you? And she looked up at her cousin, <laughs> her cousin Joe, and said, Joe, what will become of me? I kept Sabbath. I lost my job. Now everyone will be angry and disappointed with me. Oh, Joe, what will I do? Joe looked at her strangely. Rose, didn't you hear? He asked. Hear what? There was an awful fire in the factory. Only 40 people survived. There's no way out of the building. People even jumped to their deaths. Rose, don't you see, because you kept the Sabbath, you were alive. Because of the Sabbath, you survived. And this was the story of Rose Goldstein, who was one of the 190 workers at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. The fire happened to occur on March 25th, 1911, which happened to be a Saturday. 146 uh, workers uh, uh, were... Uh, were lost. So again, more the Jews keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath keeps the Jews. Any other questions? Again, sorry we went a little long, but we there, have there, there will not be Sabbath services with me this Shabbos as I am out of town with the family. Um, if you guys want to get together yourselves, I can double check with the medical team and see if they'll allow in-person services this week. Last I heard, they said beginning of February, they're expecting it to be safe enough, but they don't want to make any promises without having a few days, uh, very current data. So I will let you, you will see the weekly email. Uh, well, this week I'm not going to put it in, I'm going to write there's no services, but uh, hopefully we'll be back in the beginning of February. And those who didn't get the email and want to, want to know more about the class, about the journey of the soul, which is one of the JLI courses about um, from birth to the end of life and beyond it, um, let me know. And uh, you know how to reach me and we can discuss uh, it's Tuesdays. There's a noon class, which will be quite a large class. Uh, we have quite a few people who signed up through the community college, including Jerry, I believe I saw your name on the list. Um, and we have a few who signed up through Chabad. And if anyone else wants to know more, you have my contact info and we can be in touch. That's my, uh, my sales pitch for the day. Okay, next week is Lifting your hands above your head, reaching the pinnacle of human achievement 
and beyond. And if someone else wants to run the PowerPoint next week, Jerry, we lose Jerry for six weeks. We don't lose him, thank God, to a triangle shirt factory. We just lose him to the JLI class. Yeah, I mean, we could. Jerry, yeah. you're still sharing your screen just as an FYI. Hold on a sec. No, I'm not. <laughs> Fortunately, I have nothing really embarrassing to show. That helps. Yes. <laughs> no naughty pitches or anything. No, just nice backgrounds. Very nice backgrounds. Okay, so, yeah, so have a good week. And um, we'll see, uh, hopefully most of you. I understand, not Jerry, but uh, we'll, we'll see if we can suck him into one of the classes. I'll keep him on the email list if the subject pulls him in, you know. Oh yeah, we'll you're certainly including on the email, Rabbi. Yeah. But it would have to be. I, 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 I won't. Yeah, it, 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 I won't hold my breath. I'll just send the email. We won't expect. <laughs> it. <That's right. laughs> we won't take it as a given. Anyway, I'm heading out, guys. Everyone, take care. Have a good week. Have a good Shabbos. Okay. Uh, Shabbos. So, Larry, I hope we uh, enticed you. <laughs> I, I found it very interesting. Uh, I, I like uh, how it goes around. Something uh, I'll, I'll work very comfortably into. And uh, I look forward to next week already. Great. We'll see you there. see me. God willing. This podcast is produced by Harfer Chabad and the Klein Jewish Academy. To learn more, visit harferchabad.org forward slash podcast.